Finding Bigfoot. I guess we could have sang uh, Footprints of Jesus or something. I don't know. Hey, it's so good that you're here tonight. And uh, thank you so much for all the, the kind words that were shared uh, about the message this morning. I really enjoyed uh, speaking. And, and please know uh, that that sermon this morning, I, I hope I didn't preach at you. That message was as much for me as, as for anybody else. Uh, because it's unrealistic to think that one person can talk to a thousand people. It just can't happen. But if everybody does their part, everybody can do it. Um, a couple of things. If you weren't at the second service, you missed a treat. Uh, I, was, I was literally this close uh, to face planting this morning. Uh, I was literally this close, and I almost fell on my face. Uh, as soon as, as, soon as uh, worship was over, I got a text uh, from Spencer Flew Allen, and his family's in Orlando, and, uh, and he said, he, apparently they were watching the simulcast, and he said, uh, I almost saw you face plant from Orlando this morning. <laughs> so, anyway, again, I appreciate that, and that would have been a perfect visual, right, for talking about Esmond Green, if I was just laying on the floor, left for dead, we could have seen who was really listening, right? <laughs> Finding Bigfoot. When I say the word chase... What comes to mind? When I say the word chase, or the idea of a chase, the word chasing, what comes to mind? Maybe you think about a dog chasing a cat, or the mailman, or a car, or his tail, or a laser pointer, or anything, because a dog will chase anything, right? Maybe you think about Wiley Coyote. What did he chase? The roadrunner. Meep, meep, right? So maybe you think about that. Maybe you think about... Um, the Born Identity movies. Every movie is a chase scene from beginning to end. Think about that. It's just action-packed, the idea of a chase. Maybe think about all those NFL teams that are chasing who right now? Peyton Manning, right? I guess for me, one of the first things I think about when I think about the word chase is, uh, is a game that I played in kindergarten. Here's how it started. I don't know the, the history of the game, but this is the way the game was pitched to me for the first time. Anytime you get little boys and little girls on a playground, this is what happens. One of the little girls comes up to the little boy and says, Will you chase me? And so chase happens, right? Will you chase me? Uh, I remember that in kindergarten. Uh, when, I was, when I was in kindergarten, uh, this girl that I kind of liked, uh, she said, Hey, she, you know, looked at me and said, chase me. And I said, all right. So I decided to chase her, and I kind of liked her a little bit, so that was cool with me, you know. So I decided I would chase her, and, uh, and I can only, you know, that was going pretty well for a few minutes, but what I can only describe to you as the kindergarten mafia. There were about seven boys that she decided, you know what, I don't want this guy chasing me anymore. So she looked at these seven guys, and she said, hey, deal with this guy. And so they pushed me into a rock pit, because that's what... Because that's what every elementary school playground needs, right? A gravel pit in their playground. And so I was, uh, I was pushed down uh, in the rock pile. Uh, I'm not sure of the history of Chase. I don't know how it originated, but it probably started something like this. Uh, a boy looked at a girl and said, Hey, I'm a boy. I've got cooties. I'm going to chase you, right? And, uh, and, so, and so Chase happened. Now, that was all fine and good in kindergarten, but you chase somebody now and you get a restraining order. So don't do that. Um, Chase was great. Tonight's lesson could be summed up in one single question. If you want to take notes, you can. Usually I have an outline for you. If you want to write something down, here it is. If you, if you get this, you get the lesson, okay? 
I want every single person in here to be honest about this question and really take it to heart tonight. Here it is. What are you chasing? What are you chasing? Finish this sentence. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. You've heard that all your life, right? Do you remember where it's found? Look with me. 1 Samuel 13, verse 8. Everybody turn there in your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 13 for a few minutes. And as you turn to 1 Samuel 13, verse 8, let me ask you to do something. I want you to forget everything you know about David. Can you unlearn everything you know about David? That's every story about David. Just forget it. Forget that you know he was a shepherd boy. Forget about David and Bathsheba, David and Goliath, David the king, David the father of Solomon. What else? I think I'm leaving one out. I know there's a lot. David and Absalom. Think, unlearn all of those stories. Unlearn all of those stories. And let's pick up in 1 Samuel 13, verse 8. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. All right, time out real quick. We got two characters here, okay? We got one by the name of Saul, and we got one by the name of Samuel. Saul was what? The king. Saul was a tall king, right? Things that rhyme. Saul was tall. He was a tall king. And then over here you've got Samuel. And Samuel was not a king, but Samuel was a prophet, also a judge, also a priest. Okay. See the two characters. Pick it up, by the way. Uh, And we have a problem here, don't we? Now that we know that this guy's a king and this guy's a priest, we have a problem here. What's the problem? Well, the Old Testament is very specific in who can and who cannot give sacrifices, right? Who can give a sacrifice? The priest. Who cannot? The king. Here we go. Verse 10. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Rut-row, right? And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. That awkward moment when the priest walks up and sees you making a sacrifice, right? Hey, Samuel, old buddy, old pal, how's it going? Good to see you. Oh, what's that smell? It's nothing. Tries to masquerade it. Is Samuel fooled? How's Samuel going to take this news? He's not buying it. Verse 11, Samuel said, what have you done? What Saul's about to do here takes some mad skills. It takes some real talent. Look what Saul does. He gives three excuses in one verse. He blames three different groups of people in one verse. Uh, Look how much blame he dishes out in just this one verse. And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me. So first he blames who? The people. The people because a king has to have followers. A king has to have people. And that you did not come within the days appointed. So now who is he blaming? Samuel, priest. And that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash. So he blames number three. Philistines. He blames the enemy, right? Verse 12. 
I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Do you see what he's saying here in our own terms? In our own language, you might rephrase it this way. I saw that the enemy was coming, and then it dawned on me, Lord, I haven't prayed about this. That's the Old Testament, right? I haven't inquired of the Lord. I haven't sought the favor of the Lord. He's talking about a sacrifice. But in the New Testament, the way that we sacrifice, some of it is the way that we pray to God. We take our requests to God, to the throne of God. And that's what goes up to him in in prayer. And so anyway, you kind of see a parallel here between the old and the new. But Saul says, I realized I hadn't prayed about this. By the way, if we don't ask for God's help until we're in trouble... We are just as foolish as Saul, aren't we? If we don't prepare for trouble, if we don't prepare for when that time comes, because it will come, then we're just as foolish as King Saul. And then Saul says, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. I didn't have any other option. I didn't have any other option. So I kind of had to do the sacrifice. I had to. It was really tough. So I forced myself. Don't you see, Samuel? I had to do it. Did he have to do it? No. He showed a lack of trust, a lack of obedience, a lack of respect for God. Verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now remember, we've unlearned everything about David, right? There's no King David. There's no David the shepherd. There's no David and Bathsheba. We've unlearned all that. And so we see that line. We hear that line. Well, the Lord sought out a man after God's own heart and we immediately attach it to David. But let's remember, there's no David. This part in the Bible... We don't read David's name. He hasn't appeared in the scriptures. You know what it means when, when you sought out something or when you sought after something? It means, here's the word, it means you chased it, right? You've searched for it. You've actively searched for that thing. You're constantly and actively looking for it. So now let's look at that verse with that idea of a chase in mind. God says, I was chasing after a man that was chasing after me. I was chasing after a man who was chasing after my heart. That's the kind of leader, that's the kind of person that God looks for. Remember at that time that this was said, nobody knew who David was. He wasn't on anybody's radar. He wasn't voted by his senior class most likely to become king, right? If you think about it. The only explanation, the only explanation of David ever becoming king is that God sought him out. God literally put him on the radar. Because do you remember when Samuel went to anoint the next king of Israel? He went to the household of Jesse and he sees son after son after son. And what's he do? Well, this is the guy, right? This is the guy. I'm going to anoint him. God says, no, let's move to this guy. So Samuel does. He moves to the next one. The answer again, no. And the next son, 
and the next son. And Samuel's thinking, wait, I thought you said, Lord, that the next king of Israel was here. And God says, well, he is a son of Jesse, but where was he? He's doing the family chores, right? He's taking care of the sheep. The only reason we read about David is because God sought him out because of his heart. God says, Saul, you blew it. I was with you, and you were my king, and so were my blessings. Not anymore. In fact, let me show you how I run things. Let me show you who I am. Let me show you how things work with me. He doesn't know it yet. He doesn't even know it yet. But I have commanded someone to be the king. I have commanded someone to be the king because, Saul, what you missed was, in order to be the king of my people, I have to be the king of your heart first. God was looking for someone who was chasing after him. What are you chasing? Would you say, or would God say, you're a person that's chasing after his own heart, or would he look at you and say, he's chasing something different? There's a pretty popular show that's on TV right now called Finding Bigfoot. I'm curious, how many of you have seen Finding Bigfoot? Anybody out there? Only a few of you. Okay, you need to watch this show at least, at least one time just to see what it's about. Uh, you don't ever have to see it to know what it's about, but I'll tell you anyway. So uh, they're looking for Bigfoot, obviously. But uh, anyway... Um, it's really funny. These people, uh, these people believe that there is, a, there is a species of Bigfoot. So it's not just, not just one Bigfoot that they're looking for. It's, it's, it's big feet. They're looking for lots of them. Okay? And so there's a, there's, they call them Sasquatches. Okay? And, so, and really, they call them Squatches. That's like the cool way to say Sasquatches. And so they say, uh, we're going to go find a Squatch. And this is what they do. Uh, these people have, have got on this, got, got together, and uh, they found, like, I guess, other friends that decided that Bigfoot is real. And so anytime that anybody thinks that they might have seen Bigfoot, they load up in this little caravan, and they take off. And they go find it. They go find it, supposedly. So they go out, and they go seek it out. And they've got all these, like, nerdy gadgets and gizmos that they've spent way more money on than anybody should ever spend money. And, uh, and they load up together, and then they go out on this quest And here's what happens every episode. They're out in the woods in the daytime, and they investigate, and they see a tree, and some bark is missing from the tree. And here's what they say. A squatch has been here. Every time. It's the only logical explanation, all right? And so, so, all right, that's daytime, all right? So we've established that a squatch is here. Here's what we'll do. We'll camp out, and at nighttime, we're going to find him. And so they camp out. And they hide in the woods. And they've got these high-tech, nerdy gidget, gadgets and gadgets and gadgets and gizmos. And they're hiding out. And then it's nighttime. And they hear a noise in the woods. What was that? It was a squatch. Right? And it goes to commercial break. And then it comes back. And, uh, and so they're in the woods again. And, and, and they see a footprint there. And what's that? It belongs to Sasquatch. It's a squatch. Every episode ends the same way. Every episode ends the same way. They do, this, they do this wild chase through the whole episode, and every episode ends the same way. They say, well, we got really close. We saw, we saw a lot of Squatch-like activity. We know that a Sasquatch was here. We know that he was here, but we just missed him. We missed him by that much. Tune in next week 
where we try to find this imaginary creature and do more of the same, right? And so that's what happens every week on Finding Bigfoot. What are you chasing? Listen, there are people all around us that are chasing Bigfoot. What, you mean like my neighbor's in the yard looking for Big? No. What I'm telling you is that you are surrounded by people where you work, where you go to school, out in this world, where you go eat, you drive by them on the street. They're surrounded, we are surrounded by people who are chasing after something that does not exist. If I could just get that girl to like me, then, then my life would be complete. Or girls, you might say, if I could just get that guy to ask me out, then, then I will be happy. You know, if I could just get straight A's in school, and if I could just get into that, that dream school, that dream college, and, and if I can just, if I can do that, then I'll be happy. If I can get that promotion, if I can get that job, if I can get this salary, then I'll be happy. If I could just lose 10 pounds, if I could just lose 30 pounds, if I could change this about myself and my image, maybe people will like me more and I can be happy. If I take this drug or I take a sip of this or if I smoke this, then I'll be happy. Remember Solomon? Solomon, the wisest and richest man who ever lived. I'm telling you, you might say he went on a search to find Bigfoot. Remember the book of Ecclesiastes? If anybody could find it, if it was out there, if anybody knew where he could find happiness, if anybody had the resources to find happiness, Solomon was your man. He basically writes us a journal, a diary, the book of Ecclesiastes, a beautiful book, 12 chapters, and he kind of lets us in to his search. And he takes us on this quest. Listen, if Solomon, with all of his brains, couldn't find it, if Solomon, with all of his money, couldn't buy it, if Solomon, with all of his women, couldn't feel it, remember, 700 wives and 300 porcupines, right? Remember that? If Solomon couldn't feel it, or buy it, or find it, it's not out there. It's not out there. He says, let me save you some trouble. All of this, all of this that you see here on this earth, the women, the wine, the money, the fame, the popularity, the fill in the blank, it's worthless. It's vanity. It's empty. In fact, he says... Trying to find fulfillment in these things is like, and here's our word, like chasing after the wind. Can you imagine trying to do that the next time a breeze blows through? How long can you chase the wind? That long. Why? Because it's a feeling and it goes away. You feel it and it's gone. That's like the short-lived satisfaction in having money. The short-lived satisfaction in attaining this status, the short-lived satisfaction in thinking that this girl or this guy has all that I need. And then it's gone. 
What are you chasing? Listen, if you're chasing after something that is not the heart of God, you might as well be chasing Bigfoot. Because that thing that you believe will bring you ultimate happiness does not exist. God is the only one that can bring a peace-giving peace to our heart. At the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon throws up his arms and he says, I give up. I give up. After everything I've tried, after all my failed attempts at happiness, this is the one thing I know. The answer was staring at me right in the face the whole time. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every, with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We're almost out of time, but really one big point I want to drive home. I want you to turn over to Psalm 37, verse 4. Psalm 37, verse 4. If you like to highlight things in your Bible, if you like to underline things, circle things, star them, whatever you like to do. Psalm 37, verse 4. This is a good one. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Guys, chances are you've spent some time chasing after a girl's heart. If you haven't, you will. (laughs) You've probably spent some time doing that. You know that girl of your dreams that you've always wanted to date. And, uh, And girls, you might be chasing after that guy's heart. That's the way God made us, right? Now, I want you to watch the order that I put this in. Really, watch the order that God puts this in. Guys, don't chase after that girl's heart. Girls, don't chase after that guy's heart. Chase after God's heart. Watch this. I want you to see what will happen if we will do this the way that God intended. Here's what happens. Guys, if we will spend our time chasing after God's heart, if we will spend our time and our days pursuing the heart of God, chasing after the Lord, loving Him, serving Him, one day we'll look over our shoulder, we'll look off to the side, and here's what's beautiful. You'll look over and you'll say, wow, look at her. She's after what I'm after. She loves God as much or maybe even more than I do. And then you'll have a light bulb moment you know what? I'm chasing after God, and she's chasing after God. Maybe we could chase God together. That's a Christian marriage. If we do that right, we're chasing God every day that we have with each other. That's how we get married, hopefully, in a Christian home. A beautiful partnership. God says, delight yourself in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. Not delight yourself in the desires of your heart and I will give you the desires of your heart. That's not what the verse says. God says, if you will chase me, I will bless you. If you will chase me, I will bless you. Saul, what are you chasing? Well, you know, quite honestly, I, you know, I, I guess I'm chasing a lot of things. 
because the people, they started to scatter, and so I had to chase them down because I'm a king, and a king's got to have followers, so I chased down my followers. And then Samuel, he was my spiritual mentor, and, and you know, he wasn't there for me when he was supposed to be, and so, I, you know, I had to chase him down and take things into my own hands. And then, and then well, you know, the Philistines were coming, the enemy was coming, and, and so I kind of panicked. So, quite honestly, what am I chasing? Well, I guess I'm chasing a lot of things. David. What are you chasing? Well, I'm a shepherd. And I love God. I guess you might say I'm chasing after God's own heart. The Lord is my shepherd. And I don't know what I'll be tomorrow. And I don't know what I'll be ten years from now. Remember, David didn't know he was going to be the king. But this I do know. The Lord is my shepherd. I'll follow him every day of my life. What are you chasing? Have you ever been in love or wanted to be in love? Ever wanted to win that guy or that girl's heart? What do you do? Well, in order to win that heart, you've got to know about that heart, don't you? You've got to spend some time getting to know that heart. We call it dating a lot of times. We've got to spend some time finding out what is she like? What does she hate? What is she into? What bothers her? What do I have in common with her? Listen, if we want to chase after God's own heart, we've got to spend some time getting to know the heart of God. What do you have in common with Him? What does he love? What does he hate? What bothers him? What makes him excited? What makes him smile? What are you chasing? God says, chase me and I will bless you. Are you tired of chasing Bigfoot? Are you tired of chasing that feeling, that place, that person that's supposed to be the answer? Every time that we think we found it, every time that we think we're finally on to something, what happens? It's gone. And we're right back where we started. And we're empty. Are you ready to start chasing God's heart? In this chase, God doesn't run from us. All too often, we run away from Him. Jesus tells a story about a son who turned his back on his father And he chased something else. He ran away from home. He chased other things. And he ran far, far away from the Father. He lived a sinful life. He spent every penny that he had. And when the money ran out, so did his friends. He was homeless, friendless, and poor. Without a thing to eat, he found himself living in a pig pen. Finally, In a moment of clarity, he realizes the love of the Father. He realizes how good things are back home. He hit rock bottom. He would face the Father that he had rejected, the Father that he had disgraced, the Father that he had run from. What would he do? Would he be welcome? God doesn't run from his children. 
The Bible says, as soon as the father saw the wayward son returning, he ran out to meet him, threw his arms around him, and welcomed him back home. God wants your heart. And if we will draw near to him, he will not run from us. He will draw near to us. Are you ready to come back home? Are you ready to chase after God's heart? If we can help you in any way, please come as together we stand and sing.